All right. What a wonderful looking bunch of people. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look beautiful today. And all the men are going, excuse me, I'm not beautiful, I'm handsome. Hey, people, in the weeks before, we've looked at reflecting the light of God, and we've looked at how the struggle is real. The emphasis has been, there is more. There is more. Let's go further into that today as we look at running the race. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being here. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for each other, the gift that you've given to us. I pray today, Lord, would be a day that we would rise up in you. Rise up in what it is that you have for us. We know there's more, Lord. Show us how, where, when, who with. And Lord, we do pray for those 1,300 invitations. We pray, Lord, that we will come across them in the streets, put our arm around them, and lead them gently back to you. you, In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. So the context of what I'm talking about today comes from Hebrews. Now, you may be wondering why I'm doing a sermon on run when this man does 55K. It's a good question. But you see, if he did one on running, you'd all think, oh, that's just him. He's one of those. <laughs> if I do it on running, you've got to know I'm serious. Because <laughs> do I look like a runner to you? Truth be told, I used to love to run. But sadly, I dislocated my knee at Bahawali a long time ago. And after that, I couldn't run very well. And the joy just went out of it. But today I want to talk about the joy of running. I want to talk about my everyday prayer that one day this knee will go straight so I can do it again. Hebrews 11. This is the context of what I'm going to talk about today. The beginning of Hebrews 11 starts with, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. After that comes the list of the heroes of the faith, and we've mentioned some of them over the last month. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and many more. So let's pick this up near the end of those passages. In Hebrews 11.39 through to 12.2, it says this. And all these, so that's the ones we've just been talking about, have gained approval through their faith. Let me read that again. And all these, having gained approval through their faith did not receive, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Hold on to that. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside 
every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, where he prays for us. Now, here's the shocking part. The book of Hebrews was written to a church that was getting old. I don't mean old in terms of years. I mean old in terms of mentality. They were settling into the world. They were losing the wartime mindset. They were starting to drift through life without focus, without vigilance and without energy. Their hands were growing weak. Their knees were feeble. It was just easier to meander in the crowd of life than to run the marathon. And we see this over and over along the trail through this book. For example, in Hebrews 2.1 and in chapter 3, the writer says that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So into the church has crept this slow spiritual death. Disease of drifting, neglecting. They weren't continuing on in the word. They were losing momentum. And then in Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, he warns again. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. In falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he's heard that some are no longer taking care. They've begun to have a kind of lazy sense of security. A false notion that nothing really big is at stake in meetings, or whether they meditate on the Bible or take time alone to pray or fight sin. They're assuming all will be well. And no effort needs to be made. Hebrews is written to teach them otherwise. In Hebrews 5.12, the writer says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, because everybody should be teachers, no. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Ouch. They made a profession of faith and went into a passive coasting mode. This is slow spiritual death by starvation. The struggle is real, and they had not engaged in the struggle. God means every believer to be moving forward to new gains of strength and wisdom and holiness and courage and joy. From getters to givers. From being taught to teaching. This wasn't happening. One more illustration. In Hebrews 12, 12 to 13, the writer says, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint. 
but rather be healed. I'm going to receive that this morning. He is talking in images here of their spiritual condition. Weak hands, feeble knees, crooked paths, impending disaster. So that's the condition they were in and the background of what we're talking about here in Hebrews 12.1. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this command does not come out of nowhere. This is the point of the whole book. Endure, persevere, run, fight, be alert, be strengthened, don't drift. Don't neglect, don't be sluggish. Get off your gluteus maximus and run the race. Fight the fight of faith on the basis of Christ's spectacular death and his resurrection from the dead. Show your faith the way the saints of Hebrews 11 did. Not by cruising through life, but by, as it says in 11.26, counting reproach for Christ greater riches than the treasuries of Egypt. So the main point of this text is the one imperative. Run. Everything else supports this. Explains it or gives motivation to it. Run the race set before you. Don't stroll along. Don't meander. Don't wander about aimlessly. Run as in a race with a finish line with everything hanging on it. How do we do that? Verse 1 says, Lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Now, whenever I read of this, I think of tramping and baked beans. My dad took me tramping, and as we were putting things into the pack, there's more and more going into the pack, and it was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. But as we walked, it was the St. James walkway, beautiful. As we walked, we came across another party, and there was a guy, and he had his pack sitting on a tree stump, and he looked unwell. He did not look good at all. And his pack was huge. And he had it off, and he was sitting it on there, and we went past them and we carried on and I was enjoying the beauty of the surroundings and everything else. And, you know, the, the pack was heavy, but it wasn't too bad. The burden was light. You know, the yoke wasn't too heavy. And, and I continued on. And when we got to the first hut, about three quarters of an hour later, this guy turned up with his two, two friends. And he dropped this pack down on the ground and it felt like an earthquake. <laughs> and then he opened up the pack collapsed on the bed, looked really ill, and his two friends started pulling out baked bean tins. Lots of baked bean tins. Now, my dad is not very judgmental. He's a wonderful English gentleman, but he turned around and he turned around and he said, now you understand why we brought freeze-dried food, right? <laughs> this guy was carrying so much, his encumbrance was so heavy that he was not enjoying the journey. He was not enjoying the wonders of New Zealand's scenery. He was burdened beyond belief with unnecessary things that were not necessary for what we were doing. So this is why I always think of baked bean tins whenever I think of getting rid of encumbrances. 
The fight of faith, the race of the Christian life, is not fought well or run well by asking, what's wrong with this or that? But by asking, is this getting in the way of greater faith, greater love, greater purity, greater courage, greater humility, greater patience, and greater self-control? Don't ask, is it a sin? Ask, does it help me run? Is it in the way? Is it slowing me down? Is it getting in the way? Don't ask about your music, your movies, your parties, your habits, what's wrong with it. Ask, does it help me run the race? Does it help me run for Jesus? Hebrews 12.1 is a command to look at our lives, think hard about what we're doing, and get ruthless about what stays and what goes. Now, I studied psychology when I was at university, but one of the criticisms I have of some forms of psychology, not all, is the tendency to wipe out texts like this by labelling people with personality types that have absolutely no value judgments attached. For example, if a person tends to be passive, you give them one label. And if they tend to be aggressive, you give them another label. No type is better than any other type. Then comes a text like this that says being passive and coasting and drifting are mortally dangerous. If we're not careful, we can be so psychologically and emotionally fatalistic that we read over a text like this and say, Oh, that's not for me. That's for type A people or INTJs or people who run 55K. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. I know that there are personality differences. Some more passive, some more aggressive. Each has weaknesses and strengths. But when it comes to the book of Hebrews and Hebrews 12.1 in particular, it's going to be a huge mistake for any of us to say, This command to run is not for me. This command to lay aside entangling sins is not for me. Or this command to lay aside weights and encumbrances is just not the way I'm wired. Rather, all of us should listen and obey. Here's what I would suggest. Between now and Christmas, pick a day or a half day and get away by yourself. Away from the house, away from the phone, away from the TV, away from music, and away from all other people. (laughs) Take a paper Bible and a pad of paper. Yes, old school. No school like old school. Take a paper Bible and a pad of paper and map your run with the Holy Spirit. All right, we have all these apps that map your run and where you're going. Well, the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is... He knows where you're running next. He knows where you're going next. Map your run with the Holy Spirit. Spend time with God so you get to the point where you know where you're headed. Individually. And then don't worry about the rest because as you do that, it's like you're tuning in to Jesus. And if you tune into Jesus, if you tune into one piano, we all automatically come in tune with each other. 
Think about that. On the pad of paper, note the entangling sins. Note the seemingly innocent weights and encumbrances that are not condemned outright by the Bible, but which you know, and we know, are holding you back in the race of faith and love and strength and holiness and courage and freedom. Note the way you subtly make room for these things that slow you down. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Computer games, Netflix, social media, gossip sessions. I could go on. Also, note the people who weaken you. Note the time that are wasted, thrown away. And when you've made all these notes, so now I'm thinking I might need a whole day, not a half one. Whew. Pray your way through to an inner resolve and a pattern of taking apart these encumbrances and resisting these sins and breaking old, old habits. Do not rise up against the Bible at this point and say, I can't change. I'm going to be really real with you. If you're saying, I can't change, it's actually an assault on God. If you read Hebrews 2.1 and go away saying it can't happen, hindrances can't be removed, sins can't be laid aside, I'm here to tell you the God you serve is bigger than that. Come on. Come on, bigger. Personally, I like to use substitution. I figure out what's wasting my time and energy, and whenever I think of doing it, I substitute something better. Will I tell you this? Yeah. When I was a young man, I had a problem with my eyes. I would look at young women. All the men are looking at their feet right now. So I told myself, if ever I actually found myself looking at a woman, wherever I was, I would get on my knees and pray. And once it happened, in the middle of a university lecture. Solved that problem. Um, substitution. Do something better. God has not spoken this command for nothing, and this entire book is written to underline these practical commands. So go back, read the whole book of Hebrews. I love to give homework, I'm a teacher. Go back, read the whole book of Hebrews, and ask God to take all the powerful truth that is in there about the superiority of Christ, the power of his death and resurrection, the effectiveness of his intercession for us, and make that truth explosive with life-changing power. I know what I'm talking about here. I went through a very long time in my life where I thought, I can't change. I'm changed. God is bigger. Happy to help. Carry some of that story to your connect groups. And if you're not in one, maybe it's time to think about it. Get them to pray for you. Find someone you trust. Ask them to check in with you and support you. Accountability. Tell someone, I am going to do this, and you can punish me if I don't. <laughs> Motivation. 
That is what Hebrews 3, 12, 13 says we should do. We should encourage each other daily. Don't drift from this moment into this Sunday afternoon. Before this day is done, choose a day or a half day and get away to map your run with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about motivation. Technically, we should just obey the command, but if you're anything like me, I need some motivation. Sin and time wasters are attractive, otherwise we wouldn't do them. We need to be fully convinced that running the race is going to be worth giving up this other stuff. And that's what the rest of the text is. First, let's look back and then look forward from this command to run. Verse 1 says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run. So the first motivation I want us to see is the cloud of witnesses. Who are they? And what does their witnessing mean? They're the saints that have lived and died by faith in chapter 11. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, all those who suffered and died, that it says, of whom the world was not worthy. But what does it witnessing refer to? Does it refer to their watching us from heaven? Does it refer to their witnessing to us by their lives? The word witness can have either meaning, the act of seeing something or the act of telling something. So what have we got here? I think it's the act of telling. The verb form of this word witness, matereo, is used five times in Hebrews 11, in 2, twice in 4, and 5 and 39, and always refers to the giving of a confirming testimony rather than just watching an event. So I take the witnesses of Hebrews 12.1 to be the saints who have run the race before us and have gathered along our marathon route to say, through the testimony of their lives, by faith I finished, you can too. Yeah, come on. Come on. In China they like to say, Jiao, which literally means add oil. Add oil. Add oil to the fire. Hebrews 11.4 speaks of Abel saying, through faith... Though he is dead, he still speaks. So Abel is in the cloud of witnesses. And he is witnessing to us by his life through the scriptures. This is the way all of the witnesses of Hebrew 11 are helping us. They're gathered along the sidelines of our race. They hold out their wounds. They hold out their joys. They give us a high five and say, go for it. You can do it. By faith, you can finish. You can lay down the weights. You can lay down the sins. By faith, by the assurance of better things hoped for, you can do it. I did it. I know it can be done. Run! Awesome. But we're not limited to these witnesses for our motivation either. We have those who have gone before us in history and finished the race. Missionaries, martyrs, and mainstream all. Not only that, but we're not running alone. Look around you. Look around you right now and say, I will run the race with you. This is also a test to see if you're still awake. <coughs> so be encouraged when you map your run with the Holy Spirit. There are dozens and hundreds and thousands of those who have gone before us and who have finished the race by faith and surround us like a great cloud of witnesses who say it can be done. By faith it can be done. Things can change. Their stories convince us that we can change. We can run and we can win. Some of you look like you're starting to become convinced. 
Some of you are looking at me as if saying, stop looking at me. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Then there is another motivation in verses 39 to 40. It says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And this is followed in 12.1 by, therefore, run. If you see a therefore, you always want to know what a therefore is there for. All right? So it's followed by, therefore, run. So the therefore means that verses 39 to 40 are a motivation for our running. Since this is true, how is it a motive? Now, I dug into this because it would be very easy to get the wrong idea here. I take verse 39 to mean that the believers in the Old Testament died... Their spirits were made whole and perfect, as it says in 12.23, but that they did not receive the full blessing of God's promise, the resurrection promised us at the end of time. They did not receive that promise yet. Why not? Sounds a bit rough, eh? But answer is given in verse 40, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, They should not be made perfect. In other words, God's purpose is that all his people, all the redeemed, be gathered in together before any enjoy the fullness of his promise. Besides, it's not waiting when you're outside of time, but we'll talk about physics later. (laughs) I take this to mean that after the race is run, we are going to have One massive celebration, all together. Let that sink in for a bit. Come in, grab my glass of whatever. Enoch, how's it going, man? Looking forward to that. So the motivation is this. When you go away to map your run with the Holy Spirit, think on the fact that your life counts to God and to them. You're finishing the race is what history is waiting for. The entire plan of the universe waits until every single one of God's people are gathered in. All history waits, and all those who have lived by faith are crowding the marathon route to urge you on because we will all be perfected together. Man, what a party. Two more motivations from Hebrews 12 2. The first is that the fight of faith is not done in our own strength. So take a breath. Take a breath. When you go away to map your run with the Holy Spirit, verse 2 says, Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Don't look to your own resources and say, I've tried before, it won't work. Fix your eyes on him. The battle is a battle of faith. Will you believe that the things he promises are better than the bad habits that you use to distract yourself? He is worthy. He is stronger. (coughs) Running is worth it because Jesus doesn't just respond to faith with his help. He works to author faith and perfect faith. He works to begin it in you and he works to complete it. Help me, Lord, in my unbelief. And he does. Through faith, we ask Jesus for help because Jesus wants to help increase our faith. Hebrews 13, 21 says that God works in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus. 
He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we should sit with our Bible and our paper in the park, overwhelmed with the stunning truth that behind every good choice and plan of attack we come up with, God is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. To sustain and perfect our faith. He is on our side. No matter how many times you fall, pick yourself up again and run. We run with him alongside and with each other and with a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. But wait, there's more. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It is not wrong to be encouraged in the marathon of life by the joy of triumph at the end. The reward of seeing God face to face and being free from all sin is the greatest incentive of all. In the end, at the end of the book, we win. Don't lose sight of that. We win. It doesn't matter what comes tomorrow. It doesn't matter what comes next month, next year, the rest of your life. We win. Now, there are going to be some temporary losses and pain when you run this race with Jesus. Giving up mince and cheese pies will probably be mine. (laughs) Substitute. Substitute. Carrot sticks. That is why Jesus said to count the cost in Luke 14, 25 to 33, before you sign on. Count the cost. But the marathon of the Christian life is not mainly loss of all that fun stuff. It's mainly gain. And we need to keep that because the devil's whispering. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's just a matter of timing. It's just a matter of what we fix our eyes on. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. When you take your day away with Bible and paper to map your run with the Holy Spirit, think on this. The sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to the children of God. Romans 8.18 So let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with Jesus. Have you picked your day yet? Have you done it? Do something practical. Pick that day. Get your calendars out afterwards. Sit down. Figure it out. Musos, if you could come up, please. Let us run with Bible in hand, continuing on in the Word. Let us run with prayer, because the struggle is real. Let us run together, so that the light of our God will be seen by all. Let us run hearing the cheers of all who have gone before us. Let us run knowing that once we cross the finish line, it will be worth it. Let us run with the joy of the sustaining power of God filling our lives. And for anyone here today who has not started running this race yet, if you're thinking about making Jesus your Lord, if you're thinking about, I want to be in this race, 
If you're thinking about, I want a team behind me, well, we're here for you. If you're online, connect through the card that's going to come up. If you're here, come forward. We'd love to pray with you. And for anybody who's struggling with the race, stop struggling on your own and get up here so that we can pray for you. It's not a sign of weakness to get up here. It's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's smart. And Jesus wants to help. Father God, I pray right now that a fresh, fresh fire would actually burn within us. Help us to run. In Jesus' name.